Peaceniks. Thanks for listening, for sharing, and taking this journey with me. Today's guest is Will Bowden, founder and CEO of Grasshopper Farms, an outdoor cannabis farm in Michigan, and a farm that gives tours if you ever go up that way. Grasshopper Farms is located in Paw Pop, Michigan, just south of Grand Rapids, right across Lake Michigan from Chicago. I love the work this guy and his team are doing, and I can't wait to visit Grasshopper Farms. Before we smoke this joint, let me tell you about our sponsors. They have great products, and I'm offering a discount with a great way to support the podcast and support the mission. If you like and use Kratom, as I do, visit Happy Hippo Herbals and check out their products. They have all sorts of Kratoms, all different kind colored veins. They have them for sale, and they have uh, shop bottles and Kratom Taffy and all sorts of stuff. That's HappyHippoHerbals.com. And enter the offer code the piece fifteen. That's the piece p e a c e fifteen, and you will receive fifteen percent off your purchase. Also, if you want to try a delicious hemp cigarette, I highly recommend them. I used to smoke regular cigarettes, and sometimes when I drink, I still crave one. And I have found these to be a wonderful, less addictive, non-tobacco, nicotine-free alternative. They are called Crim by Sugar. They have original vanilla and mint flavors. Go to sugarcali.com and enter the offer code PEACE15. Leave out the the. Just PEACE, P-E-A-C-E 15, and get 15% off your purchase. Okay, Peace Nicks. I had an absolutely wonderful talk with the CEO of this cannabis farm, Will Bowden. Grasshopper Farms, let's smoke this joint. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug Drugs are menacing our society. Any thoughts on the drug problem? I had a great time doing drugs. So tonight, from our family to yours, from our home to yours, thank you for joining us. This is the piece on drugs. On drugs. Hello. Aaron. Hey. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. How are you doing? Oh, dude, I'm amazing. Thank you for asking. Thanks for being on the podcast. This is great. <laughs> yeah, brother. Dude, I love that elephant you got going on behind you. Oh, yes. Elephant in the room. Yeah, yeah. Tell me more about that. Um, honestly, I just bought a bunch of tapestries. They're 3D tapestries. You know, put the glasses on and they're, they're all three-dimensional. But um, the elephant in the room was the first one. The idea is it's, uh, the thing that a lot of people don't want to talk about. And um, the thing that, honestly, like I've, I've always... Um, you know, I've smoked cannabis since I was in high school and my family, it's always been like a taboo thing that you don't talk about that. And my family always have known that I've, you know, used different substances because I've been caught and I've been arrested, but it's something you didn't talk about. And then I started this podcast and now all my family has heard it and they actually, I, and I changed a lot of their minds on it. So it was that, that was a really cool thing. And I think yeah. that's a, a thing that a lot of people don't talk about enough and um, that I'm trying to change people's perspective on drugs and drug culture and make them realize that um, some people, that not everybody that uses drugs is our losers. Yeah, I, you know what? I think that's amazing uh, what you're doing there. And I think that you've taken the narrative into action, right? So it's one thing to have an opinion and we all can have opinions and it's great. That's, that's what the world's all about, whether we agree with each other or we don't agree with each other. Uh, but then we also have to respect, especially the opinions that don't we don't agree on, right? 
because that's one of the magic things of life is to be able to have a difference of opinion in an amiable way, right? It's uh, mm-hmm. that's amazing, cool, man, love it. And the cannabis thing is really has been really amazing. I think it's um it's changed people's mind because cannabis really is such. Uh, you know especially when you compare it with alcohol because everybody like for instance i wrote uh, marco rubio our senator um i, I signed a petition and wrote our senators and you know the, the response letter that i got was just so infuriating because he's like you know i do not support recreational cannabis uh it sends the wrong message with the current drug epidemic and it's or the you know it's like there's not a current drug epidemic it's an opioid epidemic and it's because of the the way we don't regulate them and, and because people are on the streets doing illicit fent or illicit uh, opioids that contain fentanyl but either way you're lo- you're throwing cannabis in with that and it's not there if people switch to cannabis they they would be a lot safer which Aaron is exactly why I've been calling cannabis a reverse gateway drug. And so, you know, I grew up during the same eras that I think that you did. And we touched in different places. I think I'm a few years older than you, but we all remember the Reagan administration and how successful they were at kind of putting through, just like it says on your podcast website, you know, the the DARE program initiative and other things out there. I remember being in elementary school and there was, maybe you remember this, there was a, a road show of like, half-sized puppets, meaning like, like human size, like they weren't just hand puppets. They were, they were pretty big, but they were like half size of human beings. And it was all meant to kind of do this show about why drugs were bad. And just like you just said, they were lumping them all together. And the thing is, it's like, you can't put opioids, alcohol, and marijuana. We just picked three. You can't put them in the same bucket. They just, they are inherently different. And so for us to then say, here's a campaign that includes those three. Well, you either got to do a better job of saying why those three are different, or you shouldn't be grouping them together to begin with, right? But I think that a lot of this is just confusion. Like, I mean, we're human beings at the end of the day, we end up getting taught in the way that we grew up, the places we're around, the institutions we go through, the things that we're exposed to. And so as we go through that learning process, we get pretty solidified in our positions on different things in the world. And that's okay. That's called being a human being, right? The thing then for us to consider is, is that when there is a a new information or an opposing point of view on that, how do we respond in that sense? You know, and we just went through crazy points of view with scientific communities, non-scientific communities, when it comes to things like COVID, and we still couldn't agree there. So it's okay if we think for a second that the legalization of marijuana that's long overdue is, is taking time to happen, because we're talking about a huge change management initiative. That's what we're talking about here. And we're talking about three generations of people that are having to consider, I was raised one way, and now I'm being a- a- asked to consider it another way. And it's, and it's really mm-hmm. those three generations. If we talk about like my kids uh, or, or kids that are kind of in, in college now, kids, a young adults who are in college now, they're not as worried about it, right? It's my generation, it's my parents' generation, it's my grandparents' generation. It's those three that have the hardest time with it, but it's because we were exposed to anti-drugs that included marijuana for so long, right? And so mm-hmm. we just have to be respectful that change management takes time. It's not something that we can just flip a switch on. And a lot of people like to come down on the regulators, but you know, for me, I like to say, all right, so any regulatory body is not going to get this right out of the gate. And one of the reasons why is it's the same regulatory body that just not too many years ago was asked to regulate against this industry and specifically when I'm talking about cannabis right now, right? And mm-hmm. so then you start seeing some like some legislation come out 
that's confusing to the layperson like the farm bill. I think the farm bill was a well-intended route to make industrial hemp plus CBD type products available to mainstream public, but it wasn't explained in a way that everybody understood. And suddenly we hit the hemp and CBD craze. I can just sprinkle CBD on something and now it's healthy and good for me. And none of that stuff's correct, right? And people are taking advantage of that. It's just putting the words or letters CBD on stuff. Mm -hmm. And people think then that they're taking something that's going to help them with something that they're working with. But none of that stuff was really explained in a way that really helped people with a deep understanding of like, okay, so actually we're only talking about cannabis here. And the reason why the government is regulated differently is basically just because of the one part that is regulated, which is the THC. So if we take it down to a nominal level of like 0.03% of where it's, it doesn't, it's not going to affect people in a way that's above that, then we can allow people to start doing this other thing called hemp that not only just does CBD, but does industrial things like, you know, makes great clothing and other things as well. Right. So, but all that was confusing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to build a legalized program here in the United States of, you know, 50 different plus the, uh, the non-states. So the territories and whatnot. So it's all these different regulatory bodies now who have to consider how do we do this at our territory or state level? Meanwhile, at the federal level, they're still fighting over when should it be legalized? Cause it's not if it's just when, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just, uh, all these things to me are fascinating, but at the end of the day, it takes a lot for human beings to go through change management. And we're all trying to do it in the best way possible but we're also doing it in more than 50 ways possible because of the way that it's having to be legalized throughout the United States. So it can be a little confusing for people. Like, I don't understand why California still has a big black market issue versus a, a kind of a, a newer state that's four years in, like Michigan, doesn't like the black market is totally tanked there. But it's actually a very easy explanation. Once again, we're just not really good yet on educating people in an entire country as to what the topic is, how we're thinking about it. And the way that we're moving into the next phase of that legalization and utilization uh, for that particular product, if you will, that all makes sense. <laughs> it does definitely, and I think you're right about the uh, getting our generations. Like the older generations are harder because they were really heavily propagandized. And if you think about, you know, Harry Anslinger when he first out first suggested outlawing, it was um, he said cannabis or he said marijuana, marijuana marijuana because it was uh um, marijuana that's yeah. right <laughs> and, and that's what's weird is that the um when not to change subjects real fast but marco rubio that just said that they're working on a new bill and he's they spelled marijuana with the h or with the yeah with the h in the new bill the same way they racistly spelled it the old the old, old way but anyway he said it was the most uh, violence causing substance on the planet and it's like that's the most incorrect information i've you know of saying about something i've ever heard but that's what they said so we have the older generation that have grown up believing this, this drug is just so dangerous. But what I'm seeing in Florida, because it's now medicinal here and a lot of elderly here are now using it. And even if they're not using it, they have friends that are using it. And they're all realizing this is not the drug that they were told it was. This is not as nearly as or not, not really harmful at all. I mean, the, the one thing I would say that could scare people are the edibles that sometimes they sell that are too strong. And if you take an edible that's too strong, it can, it can be, I mean, it can be crazy. I, but other than that, Smoking cannabis is just um, so much, I'm not going to say completely benign, but so much more than people, you know, than we've been told and taught. So I'm seeing it change and people's opinions are changing. I agree, Aaron. I, and I think that everything you just said gets back to education again. So like when you, when you talk about somebody like a Marco Rubio or anybody that's at the federal level government style, I think about who's the circle that they're around 
and how are they being advised by that circle? And then we always have to remember that these regulators who are considering this topic, you know, at the end of the day, one of the jobs that they consider to be very near and dear to themselves is getting reelected. So some of the things that they're going to say are going to be what they think that is in the best interest of their constituents that's really voter-based opinions is, is kind of the way I think uh, some of those regulators are thinking. And that that goes into a completely different topic of like how our political system might need a little bit of revamping in the sense of it's time to move into the next uh, era of what it is to do here. And sometimes you do things exactly in line with what your constituents believe, but sometimes you're doing what's best for your constituents because you have more information than they do. And so that's that's going to be, I think, an era that we get into in politics here. And hopefully that helps with this. When I got into this industry, so for me, I grew up originally in Santa Cruz, California. So smaller town, just like you had, you were a smaller town in North Carolina. But for me, this actual topic was never controversial. I grew up in an area of Santa Cruz, California that, that was very accepting of this. My life's decisions didn't allow me to partake either from a use or a, you know, being in the actual industry itself from a working perspective. But I always have, I was okay with it because the people I grew up with who were using it, they weren't, they weren't having experiences like when someone gets like really drunk or they're, they're on opioids or something else like that. It's completely different was my personal experience. That's how I explain it to people, right? So, so I go then into this, this era of my life, my chapters where I, you know, I was in law enforcement and military. I ended up, you know, retiring from the military and I, found myself with an offer to come into this industry. And I was, so first of all, very, um, I think it was nice to be considered to be in this industry. It was, it was neat that somebody was saying, Hey, your, your background might do well in this business industry. Um, and then as I came into it, something else happened and something you just touched on. There are so many people out there who are already benefiting from this, but they just don't feel comfortable talking about it yet. So as soon as I joined this industry, all those people started coming out of the woodwork. Oh, I got a pen around the house, or I take some chocolate at night, or I have a gummy that helps me sleep better, or just all these different things that people are using. And I'm like, why didn't you tell me earlier? And they're like, well, you know, you were in the military. I didn't think I could. I'm like, okay, that's fair. Uh, glad that you're benefiting from it. Let's let's keep going with this conversation. And Aaron, that's why at Grasshopper Farm, so we have a 160-acre farm in Michigan where we're doing premium outdoor flower. That's our charter there. But our two main priorities as we're doing that, so our, our identity is an outdoor farm, our core competency is premium outdoor flower, but our two charges that we take very seriously, the first one is education, right? So education of what this is, but probably more importantly, Aaron, education of what this isn't, right? Because, you know, a lot of people nowadays, especially during pandemic, had a lot of time to watch things like Netflix and Amazon Prime and other things like that. And so, like, you know, a common question I get when we talk about being an outdoor farm is you'll hear a question that you know came from the fact that they just binge watched Narcos Mexico, right? And it's okay. It's it's cool to be able to ask questions about something that you kind of, you got to see that was presented in kind of a documentary style, um, but certainly had a lot of liberty as well. But, you know, it was a pretty good show, but that's not at all what's going on at our farm up in Michigan or any farm in the, in the United States, right? So being able to show people, the second priority that we have is simply working together in the industry. The, the idea that we have to be competitive to where we try to put other people out of business only suggests that somebody who's taking that competitive stance doesn't really understand how the business works in the United States or the potential of the business in the United States. And we haven't even scratched the surface yet. So for people to already decide who can work in this industry and who can't work in this industry, to me, that's clearly people who just, they don't know their identity in the industry, right? So it's like at the, the beginning of this, you have to figure out, are you trying to build 
a huge multi-state operation or you're trying to be more of a craft brand? And then what segment of the business are you in, whether you're vertical or you're focusing on one of the three main arenas being like grow, process manufacturing and retail, right? And there's other things too, like, you know, the labs and secure transport and things like that. But really you just, you have to have a clear identity on who you are. And then if we all work together, then a rising tide helps sell boats. And in that sense, what we can do is we can really help with that first charge, which is education. And at the end of the day, the education is so important. So to take that very seriously, one of the first things that we did was we advertised to do, I believe that, that we did the first advertised open house of a, a, a state licensed facility in the state of Michigan, maybe in most places in the United States too. I know that a lot of facilities will give a tour, but a lot of times that is, it's either an industry partner who's taken the tour or somebody who stopped by and they end up giving a tour. For us, what we did is we actually advertised in the local papers and on social media and we had people drive from out of state over four hours away to come to our farm in Michigan to learn more about what does it look like. And, you know, at the time, keeping our two priorities in check, Aaron, is we said, all right, so here's what we're going to do with people who come to visit our farm. We're not in the business of changing minds. Okay. That's, that's not what we want to do. What we want to do instead is four things. Introduce yourself, introduce the team, show them what we're doing, show them how we're doing it. That's it. Just focus on those four things. And then anybody who comes to the farm, if they're pro-cannabis or not pro-cannabis, let them then tell us how they feel by the time they're leaving the open house. And here's what I'm very confident saying now. So at the beginning, I would have said, oh, we're probably just going to have some naysayers and that's okay. But 100% of the people who left, because we talked to them personally, even the folks who are still not okay with this industry left saying, I might not be okay with this industry, but I'm okay with how Grasshopper Farms is doing they're part of the business in this industry. And to me, that's a success, right? It's to show them this is just a standard farm. There's nothing different about this farm other than the type of plant that we're growing there. But we're employing a lot of people. We're keeping a really clean farm. We operate things in a really like operationally clean method as well, like very organized and methodical about how we do things. And we're showing people like exactly what it is. Now, there are other places that do the top-notch work as well. And that's fantastic. But what we're trying to do is contribute back by inviting people to our farm. So on our website, it says, come take a tour, sign up for a tour, contact us. And we will, we will give ourselves to anybody who wants to come and learn more about what we're doing and what this industry is all about as well. So we're trying, Aaron, we're trying to, to show people and be a part of the solution. And so far, I think we're making a pretty good impact just at our small level here, but we're doing our best as well at Grasshopper Farms. That's great. And I, and I imagine I'm seeing an aerial view of your farm behind you. Yep. Yep. So, so what I have behind me here is this is one quarter of our property that you're seeing. Um, this is 40 acres that's built out. 32 acres of it is behind the fence line and you'll see 20 beds there. That's what you're seeing. Okay. okay. So out of those 20 beds, 19 of those are commercial production beds. Um, all of them are six plants wide, but what determines the number of plants per bed is the length of the bed itself, which is somewhere around between 230 and 260 plants per bed. Now that 20th bed, we use as our R&D bed and we're, we're constantly trying new strains to see which ones will flourish, A, outdoors, B, in Michigan, okay? And specifically where we are in Michigan as well, because all those things matter when we, when we go outside with this plant where the plant really wants to be anyway. Um, and then the, the last of it, the, uh, the eight acres there, where you see those buildings, those are the support buildings for taking care of all those plants, harvest operations, um, things like that. That's really cool. And how often do you do the tours of the place? 
So really anytime that somebody wants to, they can go to our website at grasshopperfarms.com and they can sign up for a tour. Um, we have people contact us all the time for those tours. And then we will once a year do an open house where we invite people to it. We also do a retail partner dinner where we invite retail partners out too, so that we can spend a, a, a little bit of time specifically with our retail partners to show them what we're doing and why we're doing it as well. So we'll probably increase that frequency a little bit more as we mature more as a company. We're also going to add a few other things there. Um, one of the things we're going to be adding is a visitor center that will include educational center and even a, a, a retail center as well. The purpose of that would be much like um, the wine industry does at vineyard tours. Like you go out to the vineyard, you can take a tour of the vineyard. You can see how the vines are taken care of. So in our case, people will come out, take a tour of the farm, see what we're doing inside, what we're doing outside, be able to learn about how the operations actually, like we conduct our operations on the farm, learn about the industry itself. And then at the end of the day, if you know you, you want to get some flour and a t-shirt, you might be able to do that too. So you know, we're trying to, we're, you know, we're just trying to build into what is going to be a normalized industry here in the near future. And we're just setting up best practices that make sense from the other industries out there like the vineyard experience that I was just describing. That's really cool. Next time I'm up that way, we go up north every once in a while. I'm definitely going to do that. That's that's I, that would be awesome. Looking forward um, to it, Aaron. Looking forward to it. Very cool. Now I have a question. So, as an industry insider, do you have any information, or do you do you hear things in the with from the inside about what the government and the federal government's working on and doing that that the, the general public might not know, like about like say the Moore Act going into the Senate? or um, the Biden administration uh, coming through with the promise that they said they would decriminalize? Have you heard anything on those? So I will always tell you what Will Bowden thinks, right? And so, and then what our Grasshopper Farms team also thinks. Um, I think I have access to the same information that pretty much anybody has. The, the challenge I think right now, and this is not specific to cannabis, is that there's so much information out there. So between going to 24-hour news cycles and then just all the information that's available online, you really can go research and find whatever answer you're already looking for. So the first thing that I would invite people to think about is if you really want to know what's going on at the federal level, try to go into it with, I don't have a position on where it needs to be or where it should be today. Instead, just go in with, I'd like to know what's happening today and maybe kind of get an idea of where it's going. So here's what Will thinks, right? So this is not the first time that the Moore Act went through the House and passed the House and we got passed to the Senate, right? So it's happened before. Um, it did not make it through the Senate before, not because it's not a good bill, but Will thinks because A, it sometimes gained too many writers that were attached to it. So other things that really had nothing to do with cannabis got introduced into that. And that's where a lot of the debate happens. The other thing that I think is even actually more important in the assessment of when this is going to happen, not if, is what else is going on in the world today? So. We have a lot of really big topics going on in the world today that the United States is involved in. And I think some of those topics are simply going to take precedence over when are we going to decriminalize marijuana in the United States? I think it's, I don't mean to oversimplify things, Aaron, but I do think that that is exactly what's happening right now. So when we have things, really, really big things going on, like COVID, like Ukraine, like abortion rights, these, these things right now are taking over the entire spotlight as they should in the United States right now, okay? And so as soon as we have a little bit more, I guess, traction in those topics, and we have a little bit more headspace to be able to talk about, my fear right now though, Aaron, is, is that as soon as those things become a little bit more manageable from a headspace perspective, that now we're gonna be 
in the 2024 elections. And we probably won't see anything happen until the next administration, possibly the one after that, depending how the administration goes. I thought it was less likely that will happen in the first administration of the current administration right now, only because of the big topics that this administration took on immediately as they took office, right? So that's that's just what Will thinks right now. Um, I did have uh, the enjoyment of, of serving in the military for 20 years, got a little bit of experience on how policy is looked at at a federal level. Um, and so I'm just kind of giving you like what Will Bowden thinks, but I don't have any extra information yeah. that others might benefit from. I, I think most of that's out there. It's just, there's so much of that information. Sometimes it's really hard to sift through. The, the last thing I'll say on that, Aaron, too, and this goes back to where we started with, you know, how we grew up and how we learned things. So for most people who are in the same situation of considering marijuana differently than when they grew up, we also were taught that anything that you can read is probably true and accurate. Right. So that's why we were reading things like Encyclopedia Britannica's or newspapers or back in the days when you could go to the library and read, read more things that were on print. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what's happened is, is that if I read it, it's true, has translated to things that are produced um, and delivered via the Internet. So I don't like to just call it social media. It goes beyond that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what happens then is that people start reading things and they start taking them as truth. Um, and so even though they could be rooted in truth, we still have to go our extra mile here and making sure that we source out anything we might be reading about that federal level legalization topic. That's what we're talking about right now to make sure that the thing we're reading, it, is it accurate to the degree that the person presenting it, like Marco Rubio that you just, you just uh, mentioned before, like where is he getting his information? And why does he have that hard line um, position when it comes to this? You know, and at the end of the day, I think it's more so probably because his circle wants to secure him as a continued strong candidate going forward, not only for his current position, but other ones that he might have his sights on as well. Well, this makes you wonder who, who his constituents are, because if it's the voters, then two thirds of Florida voters want legal cannabis. And if it's his donors and that's what he's worried about is making sure he gets the funds for his campaign ads, then it's possible that his donors don't want it. And then you'd say, well, why, why would they not want it? Is it big pharma? And these are the questions that everybody asks, but it really makes me think it's not the voters because two thirds of Florida voters want recreational cannabis. So hundred percent agree with the, the things that you're saying right now. And it's funny, Robin Williams, uh, before he left us, you know, one of the things that he joked about was that all of our politicians should have to wear jackets that have little mm-hmm. patches on them of all of the different sponsors that they take. So we can really talk to not only the, the politician, but to know where the backing's coming from too. And I think this is a confusing space, right? So I, I think it's very easy to say, okay, I this politician took this money from this donor and this donor doesn't believe in marijuana. So this politician's not, not going to as well. I think that there is truth to that in some cases. I think we also need to step back and say, not in all cases though, right? And so I think that it's, it's an ongoing conversation and different industries and donors and organizations now are becoming more familiar with this. And I think as they do, they're going to start to get behind it. And you'll see that they're going to start to say to their, their elected officials that, and now we're talking about from a, a donor perspective, not a constituent perspective, that they'll, they'll be okay with this and doing it. And it's funny because, you know, we jump into pharma and I think that, you know, pharma probably sees that there's, there's no unwinding this. So there's already a distribution mm-hmm. model. It's already out there right now. So being able to take it back and then only use it in the pharmaceutical industry isn't realistic, I don't 
Will Bowden doesn't think, right? right? Uh, but I, I do think that there probably were some conversations of like, I'm worried about this because essentially there's a lot of people who are saying, if you use more marijuana, you'll use less pharmaceuticals. And no matter how much that is true or not true, some of it's got to be true. And that does probably get some folks in an industry worried about that much in the same way that, you know, in the beginnings, this was criminalized uh, for a lot of different reasons. And one of those reasons, it was perceived to be infringing on the paper industry, right? And so then they used a lot of other rhetoric out there that got into like racism and other things to to gain support that was behind really business threats, you know, and then preying on people for their their beliefs in things like racism to now support something that was really a business decision once upon a time. So I think these things are starting to turn, but it's the same way that like when I got into this industry and I had friends and family who came out of the woodwork to say, oh yeah, I'm using it successfully you know, and here's how. <laughs> so exactly. I, also, I think we always talk about big pharma, but I, I would imagine big alcohol is probably putting a lot of money against it because you talk about an industry that really stands to lose is alcohol when it comes to recreational drug use because cannabis is safer. This is another thing that bothered me when Marco Rubio sent his thing about recreational. We can't, what message can we send if we legalize a drug? It's like, well, we already have a recreational drug that's legal and it's more dangerous than all of the other drugs. And if we can get people to use cannabis instead of opioids, that's a great thing. If we can get people to use cannabis instead of alcohol, this is a very positive thing. It's much healthier as a recreational relax, thing to relax with than alcohol. Aaron, I agree once again. So this is why I started calling this a reverse gateway drug. So after spending 20 years in the military, I know a lot of people who have benefited from this, from combat injuries, PTSD, unhealthy relationships with alcohol and other types of drugs that are out there. And they've been able to uh, get into a healthier space. So like one of the things that I like to say is, is that it, you know, your relationship with alcohol only needs to change if it is a destructive relationship. And that goes of any relationship in the world, right? So like if you're having an uh, unhealthy relationship with another person, you need to revisit that. So in this case, if you're having an unhealthy relationship with alcohol, meaning it's getting in the way of your health, your happiness, other people in your life, their health and happiness, um, it's actually breaking you down. That that needs to change. And one of the things that I've met people, shake, I shake their hands and they will share stories with me is how now they drink less. So somebody who came home and they were unwinding every night with maybe a couple of what they might call nightcaps, whatever that description is to you, right? Mm -hmm. So that in itself, if you're having two drinks every day is probably an unhealthy relationship, but not everybody realizes that because why? They were taught that that was okay. It's hard to watch a television show these days and not see somebody who's like the, the badass spy detective FBI agent who then goes back at the end of the night and they're having like a bourbon, you know, out of like a really nice crystal glass or something like that. Everything about it is made to look really, really tantalizing and good. It's so ingrained into our society as much as coffee is, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not about not using these things. It's about having a healthy relationship with these things. So when I talk to folks who are having too much alcohol by their definition, not anybody else's, and then they use cannabis to actually change that relationship. And it wasn't about they just replaced an addiction from one thing for another. That not at all is what's going on. Instead, they were able to use cannabis to taper off of alcohol, have a better relationship with alcohol when they chose to use it. And then also incorporating cannabis into times in their life when they needed it. One of the biggest things that I've seen cannabis help with is sleep. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting because I don't think we're measuring this right today because we like to focus on things that we can quantify as a disease, right? So in, in that sense, it's helping. I, I mean, we've all heard about PTSD, injuries, cancer patients, all who are getting great, great benefit from cannabis. And we should continue to do that. We should also start talking about some of the other afflictions that people are experiencing that we haven't labeled correctly. And one of those things I think is lack of quality or quantity sleep. And right now, I think we go all the way to insomnia when we think about that. And that's too far. It it exists. It's a very real thing, but it's not exclusive to insomnia. Instead, there's a lot of people who are just sleeping not as many hours as they should. The science is really clear. We should all be getting somewhere in the vicinity of seven to eight hours of sleep. And you have to figure out what your number is. There's not a number that's the same for everybody. So, and then after you find your number, quality sleep is the other thing that we all need as well. You can't just lay down for eight hours and then get up when your alarm goes off. It has to be a good quality sleep during that time too. And so what we hear is a lot of excuses. Oh, I just have a lot going on at work or I have a lot going on with the family or I'm just in the grind right now. You'll hear people describe reasons why they're sleeping less. And they're usually saying that because maybe they're a little irritable or, Hey, look, I'm just, I'm sorry, a little tired right now because I just have a lot going on at work. What that translates to is, yeah, they have a lot going on at work, but they're not able to decompress at night and give their brain the ability to turn off or slow down, unwind, and then be able to get quality sleep. So while we don't have a disease state to describe that, I think in an effective way that people can connect with, I think the the biggest group of people in the entire world that would benefit from this product are the people who are definitely not getting enough quality or quantity sleep, but we just don't have those labels to put on it to really truly accurately measure it. Yet, I don't even know how many people at this point have lost track that that's the reason they're using it. They'll they'll have something before bed just to help their the the wheels in the head slow down, right? So that then they can get that good quality or quantity of sleep that they need every night too. So so that's helping it. So at that same time, a lot of those folks have tried things like I brought up the word nightcap, right? Mm-hmm. So instead now they're they're not having those nightcaps. They are having a little bit of cannabis at night. It's not a lot that pe- most people need, and then they're waking up refreshed in the morning. And so mm-hmm. that that reverse gateway drug is allowing them to unwind, but also there's no effects in the morning for the person who's using the right quantities to help them with that quality and quantity sleep as well. I mean, and then we go to opioids. So let's go to a whole nother book in there. So I think alcohol is one thing for sure, but if we swing over to, to the opioid epidemic that's going on, people right now who are having an unhealthy relationship with, let's just say opioids right now, not just all pain management, because there's a lot of different kinds of pain management, Marijuana, it does not take a lot to go find people who now have started to use marijuana for pain management specifically, and all of a sudden they're finding themselves not having to take these pills that really don't last a long amount of time. The only thing that pill is doing is is really masking something in their brain. It's going to start hurting as soon as it starts wearing off. It's highly addictive, and all it does is need more and more and more. And so what this then perpetuates is we have this gnarly system right now that we give them an initial prescription of a highly addictive product. And then we say, but there's a cap because we didn't want them to get too addicted to it, but too late, they're already addicted to it. So now they're going to turn to any avenue they can to get it because the withdrawal symptoms of anything and definitely opioids is crazy insane for 99% of people out there. So if you're going to pick between what feels like straight up torture to them to be able to come off an opioid product or, and so they're going to want to get more of that or if they can transition to something like a marijuana to help them taper off of it healthy way under supervision. And now they can be on a product that really 
is not destructive to human beings. And mm-hmm. we're now becoming more comfortable with that notion of this being a healthier product out there, right? So that's why I keep saying reverse gateway drug, because at the end of the day, it's helping people to have a healthier relationship with a lot of different things out there. And I pick alcohol and opioids to talk about pretty specifically because I've met people, too many people to count at this point who are benefiting from a reverse gateway drug of marijuana, helping with those two things and plenty more as well. But I just picked those two. Yeah. And that, that's amazing. And, and it's really sad what we did with the opioid epidemic because we did exactly what you're saying, but it was, you know, with the big Oxycontin producing is all these people got addicted who didn't need it for pain. were using it for, for self-medicating for trauma or whatever. And then we cut everybody off at the same time. And that's why we're seeing all the overdose deaths right now is because all those people went to the streets and started using illicit fentanyl and heroin and heroin that contained fentanyl. But it was about the sleep thing. I would say I have a sister that struggled with sleep was prescribed Ambien and everything. Nothing was working. And her husband's in the military and they, um, they got stationed in Colorado. So now she's in Colorado and now she found edibles and she takes an edible every night. And that she's found has given her the best sleep. And unfortunately she got a job that you, that she would get drug tested for. So I don't know. I'm pretty sure that she was able to find a way around that, but, um, but she was worried about it well, what if I can't have my cannabis? I won't be able to get my sleep. But she could go get a Xanax prescription or an Ambien prescription. And those are both worse options. But because of cannabis' legal status and because it's not federally decriminalized, a lot of companies still will drug test for it. Like the NFL is the biggest one everybody hears about where a player gets suspended. And this is why, to me, when we talk about the important issues, like the the really things that are in everybody's mind right now, abortion, Ukraine, COVID, and why these issues are at the forefront and why cannabis isn't happen. I say to me, cannabis, it should, I mean, Ukraine is definitely a much, um, one of the most serious things happening because people are dying every day, like violently, but cannabis, we have people locked in cages right now. We have people with criminal records that can't get jobs in places that cannabis is legal. So we really need the federal government to step up. And if nothing else, not if they don't want to legalize, if nothing else, at least decriminalize and expunge records. I, so Aaron, wholly agree with you. If, if, we could do one thing right now, it would be to take care of all the people that are either sitting in or s- sitting in jail cells or sitting on charges that are part of their record. Those two mm-hmm. things. Yep. It is the right thing to do for sure. Uh, the fact that all of these folks are in jail right now, is it's not helping the situation. It's costing the taxpayers a lot of money. The, now, I, I do want to acknowledge one of the other arguments that is out there. It's you still have to be accountable to something at the time was illegal. And even if we don't agree with it, there has to be some sort of level of accountability. I understand that concept. I just think that we're beyond it at this point and we need to go ahead and decriminalize and expunge records immediately. How how we do that efficiently though, means also we need some programs to take people out of jail and to put them to work. And so one of the things that I think would be really helpful is for the states that have legalized either medicinally or adult use is to make sure that we have more organizations that are offering employment to folks as they come out of prison so they can get into a healthy environment so they can develop good, healthy routines as well. Because otherwise what they're gonna do is we're human beings. We go to what we know, right? We do what we are comfortable with. And in, in a position where you have to provide for yourself or a family, you know, people will do what they got to do to make sure that they they are able to take care of themselves and their family. And then it just becomes what circles are they running in and what mm. are the healthy behaviors versus the unhealthy behaviors too. So I agree with you. We got to do that. 
we got to think we got to think big though we got to think about getting people to change their habits so that we can make sure we have healthy habits to go along with this as well for sure so so eric i mean so like for me like i i think this is a fascinating industry i mean the way that i got into this is you know about 10 years ago i looked at this industry and I'm I thought to myself I'm like what an amazing opportunity for people to work in that industry. I mean just for so many different reasons, right? Regardless if I grew up in California and I was around it or whatever the other influences were, I just saw this as being an amazing opportunity for people for a multitude of reasons. But at the time, I was still a commission officer in the US Coast Guard. So there was no decision for me. This was more of an appreciation for the opportunity of other people, right? Mm -hmm. And and then what ended up happening was the, the same month I retired, I actually ended up meeting somebody who was aspiring to work in this industry. And after we got to know each other a little bit, he was like, hey, we got something going on over here. I think you should take a look at it. And ultimately, that led to me joining this industry about four years ago, which is incredible because, I again, I just didn't know that I would be able to come into this industry. But I think the universe is cool in that way and that there's a lot of opportunity as long as we don't have too much tunnel vision for the thing I'm doing this minute. Right. we got to be open to other things that are out there. It doesn't mean that you have to keep jumping ship and going to different things, but at least give yourself the opportunity to look at other things so that you can make a decision of I do or don't want to do something versus I had such tunnel vision that I totally missed that opportunity to do it. So I ended up joining this industry. And as I joined the industry, I'm working on you know getting some an indoor grow up and running and retail up and running. And I ended up falling in love with the outdoor farming idea for Grasshopper Farms, the precursor to Grasshopper Farms. And I took the idea back to my last company and said, hey, I'm, I'm looking at the outdoor grow idea. At the time, they just had other things that they were really focused on. And they were all good decisions. It was more about people and resources and capital that was going to allow them to actually explore into that. And so I started my own vetting process and said, I'm going to keep working on this as a personal project then. And ultimately, as I got through my vetting process to say whether I wanted to do this or not, it led me to leaving that company and starting Grasshopper Farms. And I, I think that some things that influenced me. So back in 2011, there was a, a study that was done that showed at the time, 2011, that, that the indoor grows were occupying approximately 1% of the U.S. power grid. And that's just not sustainable at all in any measure, because we're, again, only scratching the surface on the potential of the US market. So I, I'm very clear that indoor, greenhouse, and outdoor will all have to exist harmoniously to support this industry. What we have to then do is explore what's the identity that you're pursuing in your core competency. And I think for us, that was very important because outdoor flower has gotten a bad rap over the years. But as I investigated that as part of my understanding of why did it get a bad rap? To me, it was really simple. And again, I don't mean to oversimplify things. And this is just what Will Bowden thinks at Grasshopper Farms. But here's what I found. When this industry became illegal, people moved from growing really great outdoor flower and they went inside just for privacy and secrecy. That was it just to remain mm-hmm. you know, legal in an illegal space, so to speak. Right. And so as people were doing that, what happened then is not just over decades, but generations People transition from being outdoor farmers to indoor growers and really good at it too. They're different skill sets though. So that as legalization started to occur, people were trying to move back outside because they thought that this is the natural place for the plant. The plants thrive out there from everything from the moon, the sun, the wind, and everything else that's outside to really push those plants. Uh, but it's really hard 
to farm outdoors versus indoor grow. And they're both hard disciplines, but they're different disciplines. And so what was happening then, Will Bowden's opinion, is that people were then producing what others were considering to be a substandard flower outside. So very quickly, we got into this space of outdoor flowers should be cheaper because it's substandard, uh, subpar quality. But uh, the reality is, is if you get a really good farmer who knows how to grow this plant in their region, that's a big key to this, uh, then you can actually produce some of the best, best flower outside. And we're doing it right now at Grasshopper Farm. So we went from a theory to prove a concept to now we're on the other side of it all. And we have flower that a lot of people are like, no, this looks like indoor flower. And we take that as a compliment, although mm -hmm. we would like to remind them, well, I think the indoor flower kind of looks like ours, you know, yeah. <laughs> just kind of playing around with it, you know, but you know, we're educating the industry in this and, but we're also trying to create a space to, so people can understand quality of the flower is not where it is grown. It's who grows it and how did they grow it? Right. So we're going to start looking more at lab reports in the future, I think, instead of like how big is the bud and how frosty does it look and how gassy does it smell? Like those are the measurements right now that a lot of people are using to determine quality. And I get it, but that's really a, a, a space where people are gaining more education into this product so they can understand it. You brought up also a really good point earlier about edibles. I think the biggest challenge with edibles right now is dosing, right? So mm -hmm. as people explore and they're curious about cannabis to help them with things like sleep, they'll take an edible. We all know that as this story goes, right? They haven't felt anything in 20 to 30 minutes. So they take another edible, which just doubled their dose. Mm -hmm. And now they're going to have a pretty big effect there for a significant amount of time that, that sometimes they don't like. And so now they just, they need nothing more than a little education. First of all, edibles take longer to do anything. So just be patient. Don't double up. <laughs> Wait for it until the next day so that you can truly understand why that dosage is. So there's just a lot of education that's going on right now. But, you know, at Grasshopper Farms, we understood that we're going to be an outdoor farm. We're going to be a part of the outdoor arena. We're going to produce a premium flower outside. That's what we're going to do in this industry in the state of Michigan. And then as the, the uh, footprint in the United States continues to evolve and expand, we want to go into a couple more states and do the same thing so that we can be a part of the the small the smaller craft grows that are outdoors and shows that we can actually produce a really good flower outside that people will enjoy. And then as people become more accustomed to things like measuring the cannabinoid profile and the terpene profile versus how big is the bud and how frosty is it, uh, we'll get into a space where we're already prepared for because we have high cannabinoid um, percentages, high terpene percentages. And what's interesting about all this is, as you know, the terpenes is where it's at. And, you know, very few people are are looking at that or more and more people are looking at it. I actually today. don't know. Hold on. I actually don't know what that is. What, what, what? Oh, OK. OK, perfect. So, so inside of cannabis, the two main things that provide for the effects are the cannabinoids. So mm -hmm. cannabinoids, the two most popular, of course, are THC and CBD. But more people are starting to become accustomed to CBG, CBN. There's other cannabinoids over 114 that we know of right now that directly interact with a system inside of ourselves called the endocannabinoid system. And this is what makes this plant so interesting that it actually produces something that interacts with receptors already in our body. And so what you'll never hear is the alcohol system that has receptors that, you know, mm. responds with it, right? It's just, it's, it's different. It's completely different in how it corresponds with our systems from anxiety to inflammation and other things that really people are finding benefit from that's on the cannabinoid side, the terpene side. So most notably, these are the things in the cannabis that we will either smell or taste. That's where kind of terpenes start for human beings, but the terpenes go way beyond 
the taste and smell. They actually have effects. The way that I like to talk about this is a lot of people are very familiar with tea. So if you go into a tea place and I don't know if people are still going to malls these days, but there are tea shops in malls where as you enter the tea shop, the first thing they'll ask you is what kind of tea are you looking for today? And then they'll say, are you looking for something more calming or more energizing? And then after you, so right now you're just deciding what kind of tea we're going to go into. The next thing they'll ask you is what kinds of flavors do you enjoy in your tea? If you already know. And then what are the other effects that you want to feel in that relaxation? Are you looking for relax or sleep? right? Are you looking for focus or are you looking for high energy? And mm -hmm. those, those others might have to do with caffeine and other effects too. But the terpenes themselves in there actually have effects on us that are either calming, energizing, focusing, and those, the profile of the terpenes in the plant are so important when it comes to what a lot of the folks in the industry call the entourage effect. And the entourage effect is the terpenes and cannabinoids working in harmoniously within your body to produce effects that you desire or effects that you're exploring at that time. And so what we're doing at Grasshopper Farms is when we send out our flower, we're not just saying what the cannabinoid profile is, what are the major cannabinoids? And usually you're gonna see THC, CBD, CBN, CBG as like some of the top cannabinoids that are in cannabis right now. We also publish the top six terpenes that are within that as well. And what the total terpene percentage is, because as people start to look at those terpenes, and they say, okay, what's the effect of each one of those, which we also have published so people can make good decisions there. It'll then help them to select strains that are better suited for the effects they're seeking. And that's the thing at the end of the day, I think eventually we'll get to. And you see some people in the industry already starting to produce products that are helping people to make decisions based on that. A product that might just be called sleep, or I've seen some folks that are making stuff that's called focus, or there's a morning, noon, and night. There's different kinds of flour and extract products that are coming out. Where it gets a little confusing is, is that the flour already comes with its own cannabinoid and terpene profile. And when you smoke it, you're benefiting from that profile. As we get into the extract manufacturing, this is where sometimes things have to be extracted into single ingredients and they're reconstituted into a formula for that particular product that they're making. And now you're starting to see more literature on here's the terpenes in here, as well as the THC, or maybe they're putting a one-to-one, -one, which usually means it's half CBD, half THC in there. Uh, but then what are also the terpenes in there too? So as people become more aware of this and they start saying, okay, I want something more for focus. So for me right now, I can tell you that my experience with one of our strains at Grasshopper Farms called Red Pop, if, if I were to smoke one inhalation off of Red Pop, I personally experience a high level of focus and energy to where I can do math and engineering work. And I've done it like at our institution. And as I went through each one of our strains to understand what are the effects here, it's not just the actual flower itself. It's also how much of it are you ingesting or inhaling as well, right? Mm -hmm. So this all then goes back to what are the effects that you're seeking? But we're still kind of in that cannabis curious phase right now because like, you know, Aaron, you and I grew up, this wasn't okay. So then all of a sudden it's okay. And it's like, oh, great. So now I can try not just the stuff that was accessible previously, but now I can try the stuff that's accessible in the commercial market, which means there's a lot more options out there. And this is where we think we have to get a little more diligent about our individual pursuits of what we're trying to accomplish. And then know that you're going to have to go through a testing process in the same way that we do with anything else out there. 
Like there isn't one diet for everybody. There isn't one exercise routine for everybody. There isn't one mattress for everybody. There's a lot of different things out there that can help people with different arenas in their life, but you have to pay attention to yourself. You can't just go to one seminar and learn that I have to drink, you know, four gallons of water every day that's spiked with this little bit of powder in it. And I'm going to have like a super healthy life. That's not the way it works. And that's the same with cannabis. You have to find the strains that are going to help you to get to the effects that help you have that healthy, fulfilled life that you're pursuing. I love that. And that's why, by, so, so it's the terpenes, I guess, why all my, you know, my cannabis containers say either a D or an N on them day, day or night. And um, everybody, you know, indicas, and then this indica. So when people say indica and sativa, does that mean that sativa is more of just a term for a mixture of a bunch of cannabinoids that make you feel a certain way or how, why do they call them sativa and indica? It's funny. I was actually, we were, we were just um, talking about this internally. So we have a, we have a person on our staff, his name's Cole, who's responsible for the science side of all that we're doing and experiencing right now. And the assessment that we're developing right now is that exactly what you just said, sativa and indica is less about, um, is it a sativa or is it an indica? It's more about what's the combination of cannabinoids and terpenes in there that are giving you the effects. So even though sativas are known for more of focus and energy, the reason why is because they have more components to that particular strain that are consistent with giving you effects of focus and energy. That's why. Okay. So it's, it's almost like if we were to go to the, back to the tea example on a caffeinated versus decaffeinated, or a lot of times we'll look at green versus black tea. So the green tea we know is mostly lower or non or decaffeinated, whereas the black teas are more mid to high caffeinated. So in that same sense, you're getting the different effects out of those. So your sativa indica conversations happening within the tea world. We just, we call it green and black tea, or there's other kinds of tea that are out there too, or more importantly, caffeinated and decaffeinated tea that are out there. But you're right on the money there where we use two words, indica sativa right now to really sum up what is the overall effects that I can expect from this particular strain. And then where it gets confusing is hybrids, right? So Mm -hmm. at, at the end of the day though, if we were to just look at, the top four terpenes or the, the highest percent terpenes that are in that. And then you also look at what's the percentage of cannabinoids in there. You can probably get to the effects that you want to feel and will feel, but you got to read. And so a lot of people right now in this kind of this cannabis curious culture, they're looking at the name of the product, the percent THC. And then if they're looking at flower, what does it look like? What does it smell like? And the interesting thing about a lot of consumers right now in the, in the curious space is the higher that THC goes, the less they care about the other three being name, sight, and smell, right? So, but we experienced this before. So where, where else in history did we already experience this, but it wasn't marijuana? So look at craft beer. Back when craft beer initially started coming out and there was all the IPAs and everything else, like the IPA craze, but craft beers in general, it was all about the ABV, right? And so the ABV was all about how high could it possibly be for a beer? And people were going into a bar and seeing a craft beer that was at 14% and they're like, I'll take it. And they didn't take it for any other reason than it was a novel ABV percentage Mm -hmm. that you didn't find in most beers. And they're like, I got to try it. Right. So, but we moved on from that, that people do not purchase craft beers in that way anymore. Nowadays, what kind of beer is it? What other things did they put into that beer? What company made that beer? What's the philosophy behind that company? What's the labeling on it? We're affected by labels too. Uh, All of that other stuff now actually makes a bigger impact than the, the percent ABV. So if we just look at that for a second, we know. We're going into a space where right now there's a lot of cannabis curious folks 
who are going after high THC, but there are more people out there that are going after effects and our mm. ability to communicate effects in an efficient way. The efficient way is the hard part, Aaron, because mm. right now I, I could give you a 16 page report that talks about terpenes. You know how many people are going to read that? Very few because mm. it's just, you know, it's, it's a long read. So we have to get better at abbreviated communication because that's the world we're living in from 24 hour news cycles to social media. People just want to see what's the bullet point here. At the end of the day, I want to sleep better. Which one yeah. should I be trying? And so that's what we should be telling them. All right, look for products that have these terpenes in it. That's really what we should be saying. And yeah. if you're newer to this industry, you know what? I know that a lot of people are saying, go for those like high 20s, low 30s percent THC. Stay away from that if you're not, if you're not already in this industry. You should probably be going for something that's in the teens is what you should be going for. Mm -hmm. Plus looking at the terpenes there. So you don't completely wreck yourself like we do with New Year's resolutions, right? So like New Year's resolutions, every year, people are like, all right, I want to get back in shape, right? So at the end of the year, they're like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start working out more. And we're going to start after January 1st. So what do they do? They go to the gym and they just go and they destroy it. And they come home from the gym that day and they're like, man, I'm off to a good start. I'm going to go grab this this year. And I'm going to be like the, the best and the best level of fitness ever in my life. Then what happens? Day two, they wake up and their body is destroyed. And their body says to their mind, hey, we're not doing that today. We're taking a day off because yeah. I'm destroyed right now. And then day two, as we know, in the soreness, usually you're worse on day two after, right? So, so we're really not getting back into that gym for at least a couple of days. Well, from a therapeutically, you know, position, from a therapeutic position, I think that cannabis can be the same in the sense of you've got to ease in gently to understand what are the cannabinoids and terpenes that are going to get you to the effect you're seeking. And then make sure you're responsible with that because if you do your crazy workout, you're probably not going to go back to something that can be very, very beneficial to you. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people come, I like to run. I run about five miles a day. People are like, how do I run more? I'm like, first thing you do, you go walk a block every morning. Don't run. Just go walk a block every morning. They're like, yeah, but I want to run. I'm like, you'll get there. Go yeah. walk a block. Let's start there. Right. And so the, I think the same thing in life and specifically with cannabis is if you really want to feel better, if you really find yourself needing to sleep better or you need better appetite or you have anxiety and you really want to help manage that anxiety, you got to start by walking the block, which means go slow, pick a product, be very specific about that on why are you picking that product? How, what's the method of delivery that you're going to explore? Because there's a lot of different ways and to get those medicinal benefits from that. And then go slow with it, right? And that's, I think that's what we got to do. Yeah, and, and especially if people aren't, you know, I grew up with cannabis, but it's people that, that didn't do it for whatever reason, maybe just it's illegal, they're not doing it. And now that they can, they're trying it for the first time. It affects everybody so differently. I Because I, I prefer, I don't like the super high um, THC, but I do like, you know, in the, in the teens. My wife, however, has a very low tolerance for THC. And every time she smokes it, she's uncomfortable. However, we were in Colorado. I found a 3% THC that she loved because for her, that was plenty. And it's hard to find 3% THC. Every, most places I go, they don't, they don't carry anything below nine. And nine's considered very low. And nine's low to me. But, but you know, so everybody's different. And I've also seen with edibles, especially, my limit on edibles is 10 milligrams. And I'd even prefer to do five for no more than that. I have friends that can that like prefer taking a hundred milligrams, but clearly that doesn't. If I did a hundred milligrams, it would put me in like I would lose my mind. So it's not doing the same thing to them. If it did that to them, they wouldn't enjoy it. So it's just different for every person. So yeah, everybody needs to step into it slowly. Like, like you wouldn't if you don't. If you're not sure if you know how to swim, you don't dive into the deep and you start in the shallow and you kind of splash around to see how, where you get comfortable. And I think think that's what we have to do with this. 
I think you're right, Aaron. I think it, it like mo- we it's a cliche. Moderation is the key to everything, right? So mm-hmm. starting slowly and then having a healthy relationship with it to the degree that it agrees with your lifestyle, it's healthy for your lifestyle as well. And then you know the other side of this too is so you you probably won't hear me say recreational very often uh, because I think that recreational legislation is largely misunderstood because I believe that recreational use is actually a part of adult use. And the reason why I say that is because we have two segments of the commercial industry, medical and adult use. And the reason why I don't call adult use recreational is because again, like I just said, it's a part of that. You have more people in the adult use segment who are benefiting from medicinal use cannabis than you do who are using it recreationally. They just either don't know how to label it that way or we're just not categorizing it. So back to the sleep thing. A lot of people are using marijuana for sleep, but they don't consider themselves to have a medical issue on lack of of quality or quantity sleep, but they're using it because I just, I get better sleep and I wake up refreshed that you'll hear that a lot from people. Those numbers are not being caught anywhere right now because of the folks who are going for adult use cannabis. And so the way I like to break it down is, is, is this. So right now, if you have headaches and you know that ibuprofen works for you, you can absolutely pursue what would be the medical industry equivalent, a medical cannabis industry equivalent in your existing healthcare infrastructure. So you can make an appointment to see your doctor. You go see your doctor at that appointment. You can get a diagnosis for headaches. You can get a prescription for ibuprofen. You can then go to CVS and see the pharmacist. And that CVS pharmacist or Rite Aid or whomever, they're going to probably cover generic ibuprofen at zero cost through your insurance. Okay. But that was a lot of steps there too. You, the same person, if you know that ibuprofen works for you, you can skip all the other steps. You can go directly to CVS and you can get over-the-counter generic ibuprofen for about two bucks. If that's the way you want to manage your headaches, you have an option. And what I just described there was the medical industry and the adult use industry. Mm Over-the-counter CVS is the same as going to an adult use dispensary or provisioning center, depending on what state you're in, and being able to use that in a way that's healthy for you and a thing that you're trying to manage but we're not capturing those numbers right now. So this is why the conversation is a little sometimes hard for people to digest on the recreational use of marijuana and the adult use legislation that enables that, right? So I think that that's an area that we have to get better at explaining. And this goes back to that narrative as we're talking to everybody in the United States and even beyond, we have to get better about how does that messaging sound? How are we communicating the way this is being used in ways that are helpful to people, making people feel better no matter if they're managing a disease state or they simply want to not do nightcaps anymore and they want to unwind at the end of the night with the appropriate level, like the five milligrams. I mean, I don't think people understand how little that is and how beneficial it is for people when they do actually take that. It's incredible, but we just have to help people through that journey. So all of the folks out there in the industry who are prioritizing education, amazing, amazing. Let's keep doing it together so that we can help everybody speak to this more directly from a more informed position so that we start talking about medical and adult use and knowing that recreational use is a part of the adult use segment, not the other way around. I love that analogy. That was really, that's really a really powerful way to look at it. And just the idea that, that we are adults who make our own decisions. And if someone using it recreationally, I understand not liking that word because we think about it in terms of alcohol recreational use and alcohol I don't, it just, it seems to have a lot less medicinal uh, benefits. And honestly, I I was reading a book about alcoholism and um, I didn't actually realize a lot of the negative impacts on your health with regular alcohol use and all the cancers it can cause. 
I've always known that cigarettes cause cancer and everybody knows that, but I don't, but for some reason, alcohol doesn't really get talked about with the cancer elements and other things, but cannabis doesn't have these problems. So if you, if your medicinal use is only to switch from alcohol, that's a, that's a positive thing, but I like the term adult use. So I'm going to start using that. I think it's um, more responsible and it, and it, and it kind of, uh, it's more accurate because we're not, because when you say recreational, it's like, all right, let's all go have a party over here and we're all going to get stoned and, and, you know, Woo, and all that. And that's not what cannabis is. And I've not seen it that way with anybody. Alcohol is that way. Alcohol is the party. Sometimes there's going to be a fist fight. There's going to be someone crying, someone throwing up. And then there's going to be irresponsible users who are enjoying it responsibly, having a glass or two. And that's all, you know, that side of it's great. But cannabis, I don't, you don't see the, the nearly the negative sides that you see with the alcohol use. I, I agree. I think that the thing that we will now be confronted with is cannabis has largely been used behind the scenes. And so people now are starting to discover some of the studies that have been done, or they're starting to see some of their friends and family and folks beyond that who are able to use cannabis um, in a healthy way and have a healthy relationship. I think it's also responsible for us to say out loud, there is ways to abuse marijuana as well mm -hmm. and, and have too much of it in a way that is not leading you to the life that you want to leave from a fulfillment, happiness, or health standpoint is really what I'm focusing on right now, right? So, you know, those, those folks need help too, because really anything can be abused out there. Even water can be abused, unfortunately, right? So, um, but the way that we actually start to pay attention to cannabis. So I, I don't see a lot of people who are using too much cannabis either. In fact, I haven't even seen one person really. I, I know it exists. I've seen the cases and things like that. But the amount of cases of using marijuana in a way that's destructive versus alcohol that's destructive is a night and day story. But I think part of that is just legalization. And right now, you just you you can't go anywhere, whether you're driving somewhere, walking somewhere, turning on any kind of uh, screen, whether that be a TV or a computer, and not see some sort of alcohol-related example in that. Whether you know, just wherever you go. And if you don't believe me, just try not drinking alcohol for like a week or a month. And when you do that, as you walk around, you'll start seeing all the places where you see it prominently displayed, whether it be on the billboards, on a television show, or, you know, even on the news, whatever it might be. I mean, there's, it's just everywhere, you know, it's just it it, because it has a longstanding history with the world. And certainly there's a lot of good research out there that talks about some of the proactive, good, healthy ways to use alcohol too. We've always heard like the glass of red wine a day can be helpful and things like that. But you know, I, I think that alcohol is so much easier to abuse than mm -hmm. cannabis is. That it's been my experience, at least, and so that's something we should probably pay attention to for sure. One hundred percent. I have, I have a, like, I have a friend that I, I would say uses way too much of it. Wakes up and smokes a whole joint. But the thing is, he has a great life. He's a good father, and he, he works hard. All his bills are paid. So if it's not ruining your life, then then teach their own, right? It's it's not a problem. And that's when we say substances become a problem when it's disrupting your life from you being who you want to be and being where you want to be. And that's more of a compulsion disorder than it is the substance you're abusing. Because if, if you see somebody with a really bad uh, alcohol problem and they quit drinking, all of a sudden they might be having a gambling problem because they haven't fixed their compulsion disorder. They've just stopped the compulsion with that one substance. I love it, Aaron. I totally agree with you. And I was listening to some of your other episodes and on the 420 episode specifically, uh, one of your two guests was talking about how he knows very specifically that he just needs a four hour window before he starts something that needs his head straight. And in this case, he was talking about work, but yeah. I think it was beyond work for him is what I understood. Like he knew that he is allowed to enjoy cannabis 
as long as he has a four hour window from the moment he stops smoking to the moment he has to start that thing. And mm-hmm. in, in your episode, he was talking about work, yeah, but yeah. I'm sure that could apply to anything that he just needs to have a, a bit more headspace than when he is actually using the cannabis for the effects that he desires. That's the other thing. It's effects that he's desiring, right? Mm-hmm. So he, he knows himself. He knows what strains he likes. He knows when to smoke it. He knows how much to smoke. He knows how much time he needs to make sure that he is a good citizen in the world that he wants to be in the way that he projects himself and contributes back to society out there. And that's where we all should be, whether it's cannabis or alcohol or whatever the thing is that you're doing, be sure to manage it in a way where you're contributing to a life that is healthy, fulfilling, and happy for yourself and others, right? And, And then we're just, you know, really pursuing the amounts of things that help out with that. And we're watching any indication of compulsion like you were just talking about too, so that we're not just trading one compulsion for another for those who, uh, who are doing that. Exactly. And that comes down to, we. I think we need a lot, spend a lot more money on mental health in this country and have a cheaper access because a lot of people that don't have health insurance, they don't, they don't know where they can get help. And there's very little place. There's a few places they can go. Um, there was a comedian talking about his girlfriend was bipolar and the place she had to go was in a little strip mall and she had to go talk to a nurse through a TV screen at this little place and walk past a bar and a gun store to get there. And it's like, that's not, that's not good enough. We, we gotta, we gotta be able to do better than that. If you're, if you're a schizophrenic and you're talking to someone through a screen on a, through a, in a strip mall, you're, you're going to wonder if you're even doing that. Is this really person real? You know, it's. Yeah. I, I think you're right, Aaron. And this is where, for me, one of the things that I'm encouraged by when it comes to online businesses is that there's more virtual help that's becoming available for folks. And I think that we need that right now. So whether it's a phone call or a connection to a live video on your phone, wherever you need to be versus the strip mall that you're going to past the bar and a gun shop, I think that that's gonna help people to really be able to connect with another person. Because at the end of the day, I think that a lot of the things that folks are battling with Aaron, they think that they're alone in whatever they're battling. And the reality is they're not. I, I would venture to guess, it's just Will speaking again, but 99% of the things that we think about, whether it's we're raising kids or whatever we're, we're going through at work or in our social circles, sometimes we can come head to head with something that's traumatic to us and feels bad. And I don't want this to happen. And I don't know what to do about it. And we're not alone. The challenge is that we tend to be wired to not share those things with each other. And so we then end up operating alone and then we start leveraging things that help us to cope. And then I think that's what gets us into dangerous waters there. So mm-hmm. we need to talk to each other more. We need to call our family and friends way more than we do today to say, hey, man, I just had a challenging day because of this. And allow them to say something back to you or at least empathize with you. Maybe they've gone through the exact same thing. Maybe they haven't. But if you talk to more people, at least you're taking it out of your head and you're giving them the opportunity to say, oh, you know, when I went through that, this, this is what I did. And I know I'm a different person than you, but you know, I don't know if that would maybe help you or not. So I think we got to start talking to each other more often. And then the other thing is, is that I think uh, the word therapy sometimes gets a bad rap. Mm-hmm. And I think that people feel like if I'm going to therapy, that means I have something wrong in my head. At the end of the day, I haven't met one person who's completely right. It wouldn't benefit from at least one discussion with somebody who is trying to help them with tools to get through whatever it is they're trying to manage. You know, I think we could all benefit from that, but you know, we just have to, you have to be okay with saying, I'm going to reach out for help. And with more services coming online now, 
that allow people to connect with trained professionals to help them through whatever it is they're trying to manage, I think is a really, really positive thing. I agree with you. And I, and I, I do like the idea of not calling it therapy or not thinking about it like therapy, because to me, it's just talking to somebody. And I've went to therapy many times and not because I'm like, I need therapy. It's like, you know, what? I'd like to talk to someone. I want to sit down and just talk because, you know, I'm, I think about things. I think about death. I think about, you know, the meaning of life. What's the purpose? What does all this mean? And sometimes just sitting there talking with someone puts your life into perspective and makes you feel just more comfortable that someone else is feeling the same way and has the same questions, you know? Yep. I, you know, a lot of times when I'll hear from somebody who's trying to contemplate something and they're having a hard time with it, you know, the first thing that I'll remind them of everything that you're feeling and thinking and doing right now is a hundred percent normal. You're a human being and other human beings are doing the exact same thing with similar situations right now. So first of all, you're not alone, you know? And so all of this kind of leads us back into an industry that is coming into focus, right? Mm -hmm. So if we just bring this back to cannabis real quickly here. So you know, cannabis was illegal for so long that this is not something that changes overnight or over a decade. It takes a long time for it to come into a legalized space. And now more than ever, like going through prohibition was at a time when there was no internet, there was no, there was very limited means of, of disseminating information. And now there's too many ways to disseminate information. There's too many conflicting positions, too many experts on both sides. And I say too many, but at the same time, that's exactly how it should be. We should be in a world that allows for two experts to have differing opinions. And then we are, get to choose which one that we want to follow based off of what we're trying to pursue in life too. But I think a lot of times people are being asked to be told what to, be, what to think and feel versus listening to two experts who believe two different things and saying, you know, I believe more in what this expert's saying based on the presentation of the information. So in this case, in cannabis, I think that we still have a lot of experts who are still talking from a position of, you know, I was born and raised through the area that this was not okay. It was, you know, there's reefer madness and all the other marketing that went into it telling us this wasn't okay. I bring up the Reagan administration because I think they were very effective in what they were trying to accomplish. And now what we're trying to do is say, hey, guess what, guys, there's more information that's available now. And so what I'd like you to do is just to start looking at this information and start making decisions based off of not what you knew originally, but what's available now. Because I think that there's more information that is available now as people start making this decision and then just start talking to people. So, you know, Grasshopper Farms, we, we ask people, just talk to folks out there to see who's benefiting from what so that you can start the conversation. You can feel like you're a part of a community that's truly benefiting from something that's allowing them to feel effects that they choose to feel whether that's better sleep or even if that's just feeling good in a recreational sense, it's a choice that they're making and they're doing it with other folks so that they can truly pursue the safe way to find something that, that really resonates with you as an individual. I like that. And I like it, that and at the end of the day, it is a choice. And those who would, if you're anti-cannabis, the good news is, is you don't have to use it. Um, and that's the, and I think that's what it is. We're adults. We should be able to make a decision, especially with something like cannabis when it comes to the drug like heroin. And I've had people on my podcast who advocate for the legalization of heroin. And I, and I do actually agree with this, but I do agree that this is a different thing. This is something that you, you sh I, I, I believe it's going to be between you and your doctor. It's not going to be a heroin shop. You just go get your bag of heroin. That's something a lot more serious. And there's a lot more debate there. Cannabis though. I don't think there's a lot of debate here. I think this is something that needs to be decriminalized immediately. And I think, I mean, honestly, if I think it needs to be legalized, not just decriminalized, but 
one st- one step at a time. We do you know get what we can get. It's like you said, it's, we're not going to go backwards. I don't think at this point. It's just how, how do we move forwards and how long is, how long is it going to take to get there? I think you're right, Aaron. And I I don't think this is a matter of should we legalize this or not, or first decriminalize and then legalize. I, I think you're absolutely right there. That the movement's already started. It's going to continue. Um, it will just take more and more states to come online with their adult use programs. Um, I think New Jersey was the most recent one to come online with that. And then now you have municipalities in certain states that are starting to say, uh, we're not going to enforce anything criminally in this municipality, even if it isn't legal at the state level yet. Um, So we're seeing the movement happen here. So it's just a matter of time before we get there. And we will get there. We just have to be patient. We have to work with our regulators. We have to work with each other. We have to seek information that's true and accurate. And then I think at the end of the day, each individual who really wants to benefit from this product, there's so many benefits, has to take this very seriously in selecting what kind of product that they're going to try, what delivery method are they going to try, and then paying attention to their body to know whether that one was suited for them or not, whether it be by quantity or type, and then be able to explore, how do I get to that? The same way that you would go to a doctor if you're working on something else and they're going to titrate you up or down on something just to see like what's going to work for you. You got to take that responsibility on yourself. And because this is being put into the adult use arena, that means now we, the onus is on us in the adult use um, states or markets that we do our research, we pay attention to how our body feels, and we make adjustments accordingly while we're talking to each other, because we shouldn't be doing any of this alone. There's plenty of people who can help us with this and walk us through that, that process. I love it. And I, and all right, we're about out of time again, but this is great. We I think we covered a lot of ground and this is this has been really great talking with you. And I, I really appreciate you being on the podcast. And um also I really look forward to to seeing your farm next time we travel. Yeah, Aaron, come on up, man. We'll give you a the great tour of that. If anybody else is invited to, you can go to grasshopperfarms.com. You can see a lot of pictures on there already. You can learn more about the team there. You can register for a visit there if you want to come take a tour. Also, all of our social media, uh, um, all of our social links are on there too. I think that's kind of fun because what we do is we really share what are the people at, at Grasshopper Farms doing that week, and we we publish things every single day on what's going on at Grasshopper Farms. So, like right now, we're in the middle of getting a lot of our clones cut so that, that we can go outside with good, strong um, plants outside, and it'll be a, a phenomenal year for growth. Um, we'd, we're showing people online exactly what we're doing right now. So, if, if you're at all interested. And what an outdoor farm looks like or the operations of an outdoor farm or just how we're trying to approach the industry. I think going to grasshopperfarms.com and then following us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter, all of them if you want, or one of them if you'd like. All of the social media links are on our website, plus a lot of great information there too to help you to really, how do I think about this industry for sure? Awesome. That's great. Thank you so much for being on here. It was great talking to you. Thanks, Aaron. I really appreciate the opportunity. I will. All right, peace, Nicks. Thanks for listening. As always, if you like what we're doing, go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram at the Peace on Drugs Podcast. Sign up for our newsletter. Go to www.thepeaceondrugs.com slash subscribe. I hope you're enjoying this podcast as much as I'm enjoying doing it. We're going to let Twiggy Branches take us on out. out. out.
What you get 